You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm Helen Farmer and this is Farmer's Kitchen, brought to you by Spinneys. It's your slice of foodie bliss every single week. On today's show, we were in conversation with chef and humanitarian Jose Andres about his work with the World Central Kitchen. And of course, talking some Spanish flavours too. Taking you to Turkey with the head chef of Ruya. Getting under the skin of the restaurant industry with author Marwan Albali. His advice for restaurant owners, everything from staff training to putting a menu together to how to make the best guacamole. And it was Chef Tim Newton joining us in studio as we took a trip down memory lane on the food front and asked what would his last meal on earth be? You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're in conversation with an industry insider now. Marvin Albali is an award-winning F&B executive. He's got decades of experience internationally managing franchises, independents, working with celebrity chef restaurants, global hotel F&B as well. And he's here to tell us about his book, Restaurant Excellence, some of the secrets of the trade. And I would love to hear from you some of your pet peeves about dining out. Marvin, it's so lovely to meet you properly. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Now, First of all, huge congratulations on the book. You were kind enough to send me a copy last week. And while it's not necessarily aimed at me, I, I don't work in F&B per se, it is such a great read. I mean, you are covering everything from efficiency in the kitchen to how to take an order to leadership and P&L and, and branding. Who did you have in mind when you were writing it? Uh, this book is written primarily for restaurant owners and professionals in the industry. Um, I, I did a lot of research and I tried to find a book that covers every aspect of the industry, but I couldn't. So I thought I'm going to write a book that covers every single aspect of the industry. So as you said, it covers service, culinary, profit, uh, revenue, operational excellence, marketing. And there are 10 chapters. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I really I think I covered every single piece of the industry. You even talk about how to make guacamole in it, Marvin. <laughs> I mean, no stone is left unturned. Um, I'm sure you, with all of your experience in the industry, have picked up on a few undesirables um, in terms of quality, service over the years. What are your personal pet peeves when you're dining out? I'll start from the last example you mentioned, guacamole. A lot of hotels uh, do it the lazy way or restaurants do it the lazy way where they buy, buy it ready in a tub which is not really fresh guacamole. So, I'm, you know, when I see a guacamole that's pre-made in a pouch, that's one of them. Uh, too much service. In the book, I talk about too much service is not good service. Mm-hmm. So they ask you a ton of questions. If you want water, I, I get it, you know, sparkling or still, room temperature or not. But then they bring the water and then they ask you, do you want me to open it? Of course I want you to open it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes they think VIP service is watching you closely, which is actually not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I think great service is like being an unknown soldier. You're there, but nobody knows that you're there. Uh, the service is seamless. Um, you don't ask many questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned one of my pet peeves in the book, cold butter. It drives me insane let me spread the butter on the bread people not just like chip away i mean i understand this is first of all problems right here but it really really irritates me um my other thing and we've talked about this on the show before is how sometimes a restaurant opens really strong 
you know, they might bring, you know, a global, you know, chef in. They might be recruiting from outside the region. The service is outstanding from the beginning. And within six months, the good people have gone and you're left with kind of the B team. When I've seen incredible service, it's and I, I'm, and I don't put the fault at any of the servers at this. It's the training. It is knowing that menu backwards and forwards and having a heartfelt recommendation, genuinely information that people want to have about where that food is from or how it's prepared and having that knowledge. Um, well, how do you how, how do you kind of the gold standard of staff training? What would you love every restaurant in the UAE to be doing, Marvin? That's a fantastic question. Training is the most underrated, uh, let's say, task uh, restaurant managers do. And my approach to training is actually uh, through three different areas or three different parts of the, of the, of the uh, operating week. So first of all, during pre-shift briefing, every single day, I would gather all the food servers, bring a menu item, and describe it in a mouth-watering way. Menu knowledge is extremely important, not only from an allergen standpoint, but also you cannot sell something that you're not, you're not aware of it. Mm-hmm. You're not aware of all the details. That's one aspect. The other aspect, once a month, you have to do a classroom. And the third one, quizzes, a lot of menu knowledge quizzes. And you do it in a fun way mm-hmm. where people learn and excel. And because let's face it, in our industry, Helen, we have a very high turnover of employees. So you really need to train and train and retrain and Sometimes it's, it's sad, as you said, you see a restaurant that probably cost 8 million dirhams to build, an amazing chef, but then you're greeted by a food server who doesn't even know the menu. Well, this is, this is what I've, I feel like it is such an underrated part of that process. So you can have the best chef in the world in the kitchen and you know, the produce could be incredible. But if you're ultimately, you're on the front line, you know, you're, you're face to face with the server and they've got the ability to make or break that experience. They really do. Um, I'm not going to name where I was recently, but I was like, we're in a really cool spot. It feels kind of beachy and outdoorsy and everyone's just walking around with a face like a smack bottom, you know, and I was like, this is not enhanced. This isn't this isn't this isn't the good vibes that I want for my Saturday breakfast, you know, and I think I think there's room for improvement. We're going to be talking next about who does it well. Joining us in studio, the author of Restaurant Excellence, Marvin Albali. Message here is from Damien saying, now on, with, on air with Helen Farmer. Marvin is a legend in our industry. Great to have him on Dubai Eye. We're going to find out next who reaches those exacting standards in the UAE. That's next. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are chatting with industry insider Marvin Albali. He has got a new book out called Restaurant Excellence. It's Secrets of the Trade. It is aimed at those restaurant owners, but I truly feel like anyone working in F&B should pick up a copy because it talks everything from how to organise a menu and to leadership and branding. And it's, um, it's, it's a really fascinating insight into what an awful lot of people think is, oh, I like food, I should open a restaurant. Not so simple. Um, Marvin, in the book, you say that craveable is more important than Instagrammable. What do you mean by that? Yeah, thank you for asking this question. Instagram has driven so many chefs to garnish and decorate dishes and not to focus on taste. But taste is king. Taste is what brings, pe- is what brings people back. I understand uh, garnishing and presentation when it comes to desserts. You want to do something dynamic, something Instagrammable for people to film. But for main course and appetizer, I always coach chefs 
to focus on craveability. Let people crave for your food. I'll give you an example. My family and I used to go to a restaurant in JLT, which is 40 minutes away from where I live. I love JLT. Where were you going? <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, Fusion Ceviche nice. by Chef Penelope. Mm-hmm. Her ceviche is the best in town. But I, you know, every time I, I got in the car with my family and I asked, my God, the power of craveability. Her ceviche is so good, it makes me drive total commute time, 80 minutes. That's crazy. <laughs> Right? There's another example, without mentioning names, in Nakil Mall, a gelato store. Also, we would drive 50 minutes to get there. So really, if you approach menu development with that thought in mind, you will be unstoppable. Period. Can we give some other shout-outs to people, places that you think are doing well? And I'm going to say no one that's on the show today because we don't want to embarrass and have any blushes um, from our excellent chefs are joining us in this next hour or so. But when we think about service in particular, which I know we've just been expanding on, who do you think is up to your standard of restaurant excellence, Marvin? <laughs> wow, there are so many restaurants. It's a tough one. I think... Uh, uh, Claw at Hilton the Palm, they do a great job with service. Cucina at Marriott the Palm, do next you know, door. I was at Claw a few weeks ago and our server made the night for us. He couldn't have done enough. He was there saying, you know, would you prefer this table? I can, you know, we were a group of like, I think, eight or nine. And he was just with us the whole night. At the end, we tipped him very well indeed. <laughs> So Claw, Cucina. Uh, LPM, uh, Le Petit Maison. Uh, My Zuma as well, um, uh, Orfali Brothers as well. There's so many. Uh, I, you know, I'm sorry if I forgot to mention certain no. names because there's so many great operators in, in town. But I think Orfali is a really good example because when you think about um, Muhammad Orfali, you know, obviously there's a lot of storytelling in his food and he is the one often to be telling that story. And to have a chef or a restaurateur on the floor interacting with diners, getting a real-time read on how dishes are going – that can often be the secret source of success for a lot of places. Yeah, he creates, I mean, I, I worked with, with Mo and uh, it, it, he's got a different approach, a unique approach, which is actually incredibly smart because he creates a story behind every dish. So even before you taste the dish, you're already thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and Mo himself does all the table visits, talks to all the customers, get to know their names. So he's really focusing on the fundamentals of the business and, and doing it well. Mm-hmm. What about common challenges? I mean, I'm sure you probably find it very hard to switch off when you're going out to lunch yeah. or dinner. But, uh, you know, if, if you could maybe identify three, three things that a lot of UA restaurants are perhaps falling short on, what would you identify? Well, the industry in general in the UAE is facing high staff turnover, um, high rent, uh, inflation, which affects your food cost, profitability, all your operating costs, and Increased competition on marketing clutter. It's very difficult to stand out now. Mm-hmm. You hire influencers, you, you do reels, you uh, did a lot of, do a lot of events, but it's very difficult to capture people's attention nowadays. Mm-hmm. So uh, standing out in, in such a saturated market is quite tough nowadays. I think you should be a restaurant critic. I think you'd be for absolutely fantastic or a restaurant owner and just do it really really well <laughs> um i just want to ask one last question which is you know the book is out now and i'm and i've been in the ua for quite a long time now and most of my dining experiences of my life have been here so i was looking at it with that kind of dubai lens but is it a global read have you have you also had other cities or just the industry in general in mind or is it specific to the uae marvin uh no this book is quite it, it, it is applicable uh, 
you can use the principles and the advice and the tactics in this book anywhere in the world, simply because I worked in North America. I had Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Japan under my management. So I brought all those insights from different countries and put it in the book. So the book is applicable universally. Marvin, I've got a pet peeve on the text line. I want to get your take on it. I had to message my pet peeve at restaurants. I cannot stand it when servers clear plates when others at the table are still eating. First of all, problems I know, but can you please let us all finish and then clear? Thank you. That's a plea to servers. And, I, you know, this is a great point. And unfortunately, many large restaurant companies, even global companies, they teach the staff the wrong standard. So what do they say in their standards? They say pre-bus as each guest finishes. But if you pre-bus, if you remove my plate, I'm having dinner with Helen, she will feel under pressure to eat fast, and then you ruin the meal. So mm-hmm. sometimes, Helen, unfortunately, the training programs themselves are faulty. All right. You're a man on a mission. For anyone that wants to pick up the book, it's on Amazon, but it's also in stores as well. Where can people find it, Marvin? Uh, uh, the best uh, price and the best deal is on our Instagram page, which is Restaurant Excellence Book. Thank you so much. Really fascinating. I'd love to have you on again to explore some of the, you know, every. I think I love the section on menu planning and presentation, the tips and tricks. So could we talk about that next time? Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks so much. Thank you. Marvin Albali with us today. His book, Restaurant Excellence, is out. I'm thinking about keeping a a copy in my handbag and just giving it out to every restaurant I go to. Some incredible lessons in there. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well meeting the chef now and we're taking you to Turkey. Chef Gokan of Ria Dubai is with us there, there at the St. Regis, the Palm, which has become a real little foodie hotspot. You've got some great neighbours there and uh, serving up some incredible Michelin selected Turkish food. How are you, chef? Hello, hello. How are you? I'm really good. How about you? I'm well, because you've brought some goodies in. Um, You brought in some homemade Turkish Turkish delight. delight. Which always makes me think of the Chronicles of Narnia and the Snow Queen tempting the children. Um, and some spices, because I wanted to ask you about signature flavors, signature spices. So I've got four little pots here. Tell me, what do we have and what so, do you do with it? So I brought four uh, very uh, important elements from our cuisine. The first one is pistachio, but specific uh, type of pistachio, green one. Bright the, green. Gre- very green. So... It was very difficult to find me in Dubai, actually. So what we did, we imported from Turkey, which is uh, uh, the, the, from Antep city. So that's, that's very important. We, we made with that uh, ice cream, pistachio ice cream, yeah. with, uh, served with kunefe. So You've got my favorite. So I, I told, told you off, I have, um, I have zatar every, every day for my breakfast. I have some labneh and some zatar and some veggies and some bread big glug of Palestinian olive oil. Um, and tell us about what you do with the za'atar. The za'atar uh, we use for a few dishes. Actually, the, the one of the, our, one of the, our signature, ribeye. And, uh, mm-hmm. It smells we, amazing. We serve uh, za'atar potato with, uh, with ribeye, which is uh, we, we, fried the, we fried the potatoes and cut with za'atar. It gives you like very rich and uh, Turkish flavor. Yeah. Chilies? Chilies, which one? The red. So black chili. We call it actually is urfa chili or iso chili. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be careful with this. <laughs> so we have two types of, so type of, type, type of chili, which is uh, 
black, another one is red. So black one is isochili. We made uh, the beef tartare with that. We actually call it chikofte, which is raw meatball. Mm-hmm. So we mince the beef and then mix mix with vegetables and then serve it like a, almost like Arabic uh, like kibaneye. Similar to that. So where did you grow up, chef? And who was cooking in your house? So I, uh, I, I born in Turkey. I'm from I'm from Turkey. So in in back in back in the days, our uh, families, our neighbors were cooking traditional Turkish food. In my young age, when I was 15, I decided from there I decided to be chef. I joined uh, culinary high school when I was 15 years old where you lived, where you studied, and where you uh, do everything in this school. So I grew up in this school. Mm-hmm. So Now looking back, yeah, it's been so, the case ever, ever since. What about Turkish food in general? I feel like my kind of grasp of it growing up in the UK was it's just kebabs. And that is so far from the truth. Um, tell us about the range on the menu. What are some of the most popular dishes with diners at Ruya? So most popular dish on the menu is uh, pide. I, I would say like many of them. Explain I cannot say just is. one. No, come on. Yeah, go on. Make us hungry. That's your only job. <laughs> make us so, hungry. Let's say, uh, yeah, kebab is a uh, reputation of Turkish cuisine, but uh, we have much more than that. That's why Ria born. So to, to showcase uh, Turkish cuisine is much more than kebab, you know. Mm. So our actually our brand owner, Mr. Obut, he was uh, visiting Italian, French, and it, uh, the Japanese restaurant. He decided to, to, to showcase Turkish cuisine can be that level. So where do we are born? So in Ria, we, do, uh, we don't do traditional or fusion. We are a mixture of both, you know. What about desserts? Desserts, uh, I brought one. You brought some rice pudding. Yeah, rice pudding. Okay, now I'm, I'm, I need to be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of rice pudding because the one I had at school was so disgusting. Ah. It had like a skin in it and they'd put a dollop of horrible jam on it. And I think I ate it and I cried and I got shouted at. <laughs> so your challenge is I'm, I'm not going to eat it on air because Chloe's thrusting a rice pudding at me. I haven't, I've not even, you haven't even given me a spoon. I brought <laughs> enough for I'm everybody. I'm shoot it. <laughs> um, but... This smells, I mean, you can tell it's got a torch top. It's got, it smells like a lot of vanilla in it. Yeah, How vanilla you, and rose, rose flavor in it. Oh, that, that, okay. You, yeah. It might be enough to convert me, chef. It might be enough. Okay, so here's my challenge to you. Tonight, we book a table for you. You get to put together the menu. Okay. And so, so someone's like, I want the Ria experience. I, what, what, what are the three or four dishes that you feel like if you haven't eaten them, you haven't really been? I mean, for me, very difficult to choose uh, dishes from the menu. All of them are babies, right? So, <laughs> so first dish will, will come up right away. I will say, uh, uh, I will say levrek, which, which is, is raw sea bass. We slice them raw mm. sea bass. We slice them thinly. We made a sauce with the mustard and yogurt and apple. We serve it like a, uh, I don't want to call it ceviche, but it's same time a raw dish. So Super it's, fresh. Uh, nice meze, we call it. Mm-hmm. And, and then the second dish, uh, pide. You heard about pide? So is, the, is it bread? Pide is a flatbread. Yeah. So, so flatbread with a spinach, I would say. Uh, it's very good. And then another one is adana kebab. Adana so we kebab. get a kebab, yay. Finally, yeah, finally kebab. So <laughs> Adana kebab is normally, uh, I mean, kebab overall, everybody does kebab, Arabic and Indian, all the culture has. But but what's specific in Ruya, 
Adana kebab, we don't use mincer. But we do, we, we get the lamb, we chop by hand with very traditional way, with big, big, big knife, we chop them by hand and we skewer them. We cook on the, on the, on the charcoal. That's very important. Oh, that sounds delicious. So when you eat the, the kebab, you don't feel like uh, rubbery. It's more like crumbly, you know, it's, it's juicy. And then are we having rice pudding for dessert or is there anything else? Pistachio uh, ice cream? Paklava? Uh, uh, Knafe? Yes. What are we having? Uh, so we have baklava also. You, you can see that. So baklava actually, the, like traditionally, they make by pistachio mostly. But mm-hmm. what we did in Ria, we made with uh, uh, hazelnut. Oh, yum. So you got it there. I'm going to have a Do you know what? During, during the news... I'll have I'll have a little I'll have a little nibble, Chef. Thank you so much for coming in. I know fr- Fridays are very busy indeed, yeah, um, nice. so I really value your time coming in. And I'll report back on the rice pudding because I think you might just convert me. And producer Chloe's going to have some Turkish delight for the first time. <laughs> it has been a delight, Chef. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank and you. Just a quick reminder: if you want details, of course, send me the word Turkey. Send me the Turkish flag. If you want details, you can find Ria there on the Palm at the Saint Regis. They've got an absolutely beautiful spot, and it sounds like the menu is just as divine. Thank you, Chef. Thank you very much. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye One Hundred Three Point Eight with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Something of an accomplishment on the show this afternoon. We have stolen away from the kitchens one of the busiest men in Dubai. <laughs> chef Tim Newton is with us. He's the executive chef and partner at the Demand Group. So they incredible eateries. We've got Opa, Lanina, uh, Bagatelle, Mira. I mean, how do you have time for all of this? And you're a family man too. How are you, Chef? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, so Friday afternoons, n- maybe not the most relaxing time in a chef's life. So thank you for making the time to come and sit, to sit down with us. And we're, your only job between now and half past is to make us hungry. Um, so before we talk about where to go and what to eat this weekend, where did it start for you? Where did you grow up? Who was cooking? What were you eating? Uh, I, mean, I grew up in Southern California, um, a small little town, a dusty little desert town. Was there any, Were there any kind of restaurants that were like uh, it was treat. all mexican food oh, so, so it was stuff. you know it's 50 percent uh, mexican population so it was it was nice very diverse uh in that respect but uh, yeah i mean my mom cooked a little bit when i grew up and i think i started cooking around eight years old whoa in the house and uh and it just continued from there okay i've got an eight-year-old what get you, him in there what were you making i'll train him up <laughs> do you know what i think she'd be quite into it to be honest well, I think, well, kids do. I mean, they, they really get into it and they really get excited about it. And mm-hmm. I think it's something, it's a good learning thing for kids to, to, to be involved in. I, I've got two daughters that are eight and six. The older one is, yeah, loves being in the kitchen, really good eater, quite adventurous. The younger one, I, I'm not going to lie, I've cried this week because she's so picky and it's driving me to absolute distraction. And I've been Googling pediatric dietitians and all the rest of it. Um, and she helped make dinner the other night and subsequently ate it. And I'm not going to lie, it was pasta bolognese. <laughs> and bad. I was like, do you know what? That, I'll take it because, I mean, you've got all of this to come. You know, your, your little one's a, a lot younger. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, an emotion, it's an emotional topic as a parent when it comes to kids and food. So it's amazing that you were so passionate at a young age. But did you think that that was going to turn into a career or was it just something you enjoyed doing? I mean, it's just something I enjoyed doing. And I think it was something my mother enjoyed me doing. So mm-hmm. I think she pushed me to do that. Uh, single mother, so I think it was it was kind of a relief for her, maybe. And I think maybe about fifteen, sixteen, I I decided maybe it would be kind of a career. Uh, you know, I mean, not many options, I guess, in uh, in the town I grew up in. But uh, yeah, it evolved, and uh, and I traveled, and uh, and traveled it just a kind lot. Of, 
Where have you Where have you worked internationally before? You've been in Dubai 13 years now, but uh, prior yeah. to that? Uh, I mean, I was in London. Uh, I worked in Sydney, Paris, um, and in California too. I went back a couple of times to California and uh, and did some uh, uh, in the north in San Francisco area. And uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, thirteen years now in Dubai, and I think uh, that's it. I think I'll just stay here. Good, I'm good. Please do. Um, best city in the world for food? Dubai. Uh, I mean, I have to say, I, I love Paris. I love San Francisco. I love New York. But for consistency and consistency of product and um, service, I think I think Dubai is really is, is one of the top cities now. Interesting. We had um, author Marvin Albalian earlier, his, his book Restaurant Excellence, um, kind of looking at everything from running a restaurant, from you know training servers to branding, P&L. What are some of your big pet peeves when it comes to diners? Because we've already talked about some of the issues that restaurants have. What about us? <laughs> Where are we going wrong? I mean, I shouldn't really say anything because it's my bread and butter, right? But I think that I think in Dubai, the, the one of the biggest problems is consumption. So it's over ordering. Um, it's it's ordering inconsistently uh, because a lot of times also, I mean, especially at the, our new restaurant, you get a lot of diners that don't come on time. Uh, so it'd be very, you know, it's, it comes in waves, the, the tickets. So, but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, customer is always right. And uh, they're the ones that pay the bills. So we have to deal with it. And if they over order, take it home. Take it home. Who doesn't yeah. love a little Someone leftover the next day? Um, Chef Tim Newton is in the studio this afternoon. We're going to be talking about where to go and what to eat this weekend. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's Eat Well, Live Well. From small town California to big city lights, Chef Tim Newton is with us, the exec chef and partner of the Demand Group. We are talking Opa La Nina, which we had a very, very nice afternoon at a few months ago. So thank you for making time. Um, how do you kind of split your time and attentions between the restaurants, Chef? How does it work in practice? Uh, I'm, well, La Nina is kind of like our new baby. So I spend most of my time there. And uh, obviously, Opa... Uh, we've been very lucky. We have four um, overseas opas also. So I, you know, I usually just travel um, to do the openings and to do follow-ups. But most of my time is spent now in uh, La Nina, in the IFC. Mm. What should we be eating? If we're going to come to La Nina, put together a little menu for us. Make us hungry, chef. I mean, definitely the lobster tacos to start. Uh, we make this kind of funky cheese truffle because you have to have cheese and truffle on anything in Dubai, right? So it's this kind of crispy pizza, coca collaboration. It's amazing. And then definitely the, the meats, uh, high-quality uh, Wagyu. We do uh, loads of braised meats also. And uh, we're known for our seafood. So whole fish, like turbo or Dover sole, uh, a lot of spice involved, uh, big, deep flavors. What do you cook at home? Well, on my one night uh, that I'm home, <laughs> uh, so I have, I have two nights off. And so one night we usually go out uh, to try something new. And then one night we'll stay at home. We make tacos. Um, we're trying to be a little bit healthier now. So we do bowls. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll just, we'll cook anything. Where are you rating in Dubai right now? You can't say you're in restaurants, but I feel like, you know, we're in, we're in guests coming to town season. And I'm starting to put together a bit of a mental list for when. My mum and dad, Babs and Dave, are in town about where they should be going and eating. Where do you think's doing a really great job at the minute, Chef? I mean, right now, uh, Netsu. Uh, I mean, I, it's my it's my go-to. 
um, for these nights off. Obviously, you have the classics, you have the Zuma, you have the LPM that never fail. But uh, yeah, Netsu. At the uh, Mountain Oriental. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. It. And drama as well. Like, who doesn't yeah. love a kind of a, a six foot Yeah, you sit, know, sit at the food bar and, uh, and watch the fire and eat good food. It's amazing. Sounds pretty amazing. Um, in terms of travel, you, asked, you just said to me you're, you're heading back to the, um, to the States at Christmas. But are you someone that plans your travel around where you're going to eat? I mean, doesn't everybody? I, I don't I know. Don't think I think they do. I don't. Then they're weird. Um, but I mean, for me, so so I have a trip coming up, and all we talk about is the food. So we're going to Jamaica for uh, seven days in this trip. So it was where's the best jerk chicken? Where's the best uh, roasted meats? Uh, so yeah, I mean, we definitely we definitely look into things, and we definitely go to food cities when Foodie we travel. Foodie bucket list. Okay, which brings me to my final question, Chef Tim. I'm not wishing you away, but I'm going to pretend to send you to Desert Island. And not a nice one. There's not, you're not going to be kind of Tom Hanks spearfishing or anything. The food's going to be diabolical. However, the night before you go, you can have the menu of your dreams. Starter, main dessert, or any configuration. If you want to have three desserts or all cheese, then I wouldn't blame you a bit. What are you eating? And it could be food from fantasies, food from travel, food from the past, anything. I mean, I would definitely say uh, La Nina would be on my list. But if I had to do something of my own, I would say um, carne asada tacos um, with some nice guacamole, some nice salsa. Uh, and I would stay on the theme and I would have uh, maybe some pulled beef taquitos and a tres leches for dessert. I think that would be like my ultimate dream and reminiscent of my childhood, too. So it's, uh, it, would be, it would be perfect. Okay, now you can't win this prize because you're a friend of the show, but I've got 500 dirhams to spend at Spinney's. People are getting in touch with some absolutely phenomenal suggestions as turning a song title into a food by changing a word, adding a word, <laughs> careless whisper, like the chocolate bar, espresso yourself, Isabella. Um, some great suggestions. Never going to give stew up. Phenomenal. 500 dirhams to spend in Spinney's. What's, what's the chef buying? What will be going into your trolley? I mean, Spinney's. I, I go to Spinney's once a week. Uh, uh, so maybe some fish, maybe some bream. They have a great Wagyu selection. Mm. Uh, or maybe I'll just go and just buy cookies and chips and, uh, yes. and, and just and munch out. I don't know. Party food. Yeah. Chef Tim, thank you so much. Thank Tim you so Nietzsche, much. exec chef partner at Demin Group. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Catching up now with Caroline from Spinney's um, because something pretty special is happening tonight. If you fancy getting involved in a world record attempt, then this is your chance. Caroline Core, how are you? Hi, Helen. How are you doing? I am. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm wearing my stretchiest clothes because something special is happening at Mercato. You are looking for a Guinness World Record official attempt for the world's largest cheese tasting. Oh my gosh, tell me everything. (laughs) We are indeed. Um, It's actually happening next week. Oh, Uh, Friday. Yeah, Friday the 8th of December. um, We're making a really cheesy official attempt to break this Guinness World Record. World's largest cheese tasting event where we have to gather over a thousand people together in one space to taste lots of cheeses. I know a thousand people. <laughs> um, you have to taste three different cheeses, um, three French cheeses in partnership with the French Dairy Board. Um, and we're super excited to get it all together. It's going to be a celebration of community, of good foods and the festive season. 
Okay, begs the question, what is the current record for the world's largest cheese tasting event? Or is, are we going for a completely new one? It's not a new one. Um, so we're trying to beat a lady called Cathy Harrington and the Kangaroo Valley Agricultural Association in Australia. Ah, you can take so them. They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> their record is a thousand people. So I'm aiming for a thousand and one hundred, to be honest. I want to really beat the record. So this is going to be 6.30 next Friday, Friday the 8th at Mercato. So you've got the space there. Obviously, you've got the spinny. I was there this morning at Spinney's at Mercato, as it happens. Um, so is it going to be in that area as you walk in? So it's actually in the main central area of the mall. You won't be able to miss it because it's going to be all marked off for 1,100 people. Uh, Registration is going to start at 5.30. So we have to obviously bring everyone in. Uh, We're going to have lots of cheesy games. We have a lot of prizes that are up for grabs as well. So there's going to be about 30,000 dirhams worth of Spinney's vouchers up for grabs. If you're good at your cheesy, if your cheese knowledge is up to date. Oh, there's going to be a cheesy quiz. A cheesy quiz. There'll be lots of cheesy hampers. Uh, you might even get your hands on some of our limited edition cheesy Christmas jumpers. Oh, this sounds great. Okay, so 6.30 next Friday. Games, 30,000 dirhams worth of prizes. Um, and lots of cheese tasting. What are we going to be eating? What, che- what cheeses are on the menu? We're going to be trying three different French cheeses. Uh, there'll be a Comte, a Brie and a Tom, which are all being provided by the French Dairy Board. And as part of the record, uh, you have to, all the participants will have to taste the three cheeses, but they also have to be guided through the cheese tasting by a world-leading cheesemonger. So we're bringing in a world-leading cheesemonger, Francois Robin, who's going to taste, who's going to lead us through the tasting session. Well, it sounds fantastic. Is there any pre-registration required or can you just turn up on the night? We would love to have some pre-registration, obviously, to help us manage the numbers and know that we're going to reach the record. So you can hop on over to the Spinney social media or Spinney's website and you can sign up there. Thank you so, so much for bringing this to my attention. You've sorted out next Friday for me. Absolutely glorious. And uh, it's on on the Instagram. You can wear your cheesy Christmas jumper. And um, I mean, what a thing for the resume to say that (laughs) I've been part of a world record for the largest cheese tasting ever. Caroline Cole, thank you so much. Fantastic to catch up with you and get back to probably a very cheesy Excel spreadsheet that you've got underway for next weekend. (laughs) Have a good one. Thanks, Alan. Take care. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Meeting the chef now, he's a storyteller. He creates experiences, feeding humanity, feeding hope. The man behind Leo at Atlantis, the Royal, and some incredible humanitarian work through the World Central Kitchen joins us now. Chef Jose Andres, how are you? How is Dubai treating you? Dubai so far is treating me amazing. Uh, you say you're in this Formula One weekend, and I used to go to an amazing haircut. I've seen some of my best friends, like Nobu Matsuhisha, Chef of Chefs. So, no bad, no bad at mm-hmm. all. And I'm speaking to you from from Jale, obviously, my Spanish restaurant right here at uh, Royal Atlantis. Well, huge congratulations on the success of the restaurant. Would you mind telling us about the inspiration behind uh, bringing it to this vibrant city? You know, What was it about Dubai that you wanted to be part of? Well, the first thing is that, you know, Haleo, this year I'm celebrating 30 years. Uh, I opened Haleo in 1993 in Washington, D.C. And was a very simple idea. Let me bring the Spanish tapas, the small dishes of Spain that I love, the ones I grew up with, uh, the new ones that keep uh, popping up with new techniques and new ingredients. And let's do a great... Uh, 
a great restaurant that celebrates uh, life, you know. Tapas is about the small dishes. Mm -hmm. Tapas is about sharing. And, and sharing is something very important for me. I always believe that the happiest place on earth is a table full of family and friends. And why, why finally coming to, to Dubai? I mean, the, the question I should be asking myself is why it took me so long. I agree. I agree. Dubai is the city of cities. And obviously, uh, the wait, I think, was worth it because at the end, for me to be able to come with this amazing uh, organization that opened this fascinating hotel, the probably is, without a doubt, the hotel of hotels, not only in, in the Middle East, but uh, all around the world. I think to, it's to a, say that now I have a restaurant here oh. at uh, Royal Atlantis and is my first Haleo. Uh, it gives me, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of pleasure. Wow. And I have my brother Mariano Andres, who yes. he's been in Dubai for more than twenty years, twenty five. So in a way, he's from here. So for me, it was the place to be, and I'm glad finally it happened. Me too. I feels like it was a long time coming, but it was the, the right place at the right time and, and, and such a wonderful addition to the dining scene. Have you had to make any adjustments to menu, palate, spice, uh, any signature dishes for the Middle Eastern market at all? Listen, when I was very young, growing up in the streets of New York, six months uh, into arriving, I will meet this uh, friend of mine, no longer with us. His name was Clemente. He owned a tiny restaurant south of Manhattan on 15th Street. Mm -hmm. The restaurant was called El Fit. And as I was a young cook working in restaurants in New York, um, I would have very often the same question. Do we need to be changing the flavors of the ways for, for the people of New York or anywhere you move ethnic cooking to a new home. Mm -hmm. And this Clemente Bocos told me, who said, just cook with your heart, cook it as real as possible, and that's the way people will really love it. So I've been taking this philosophy with me, and in Dubai, it's not any different. If anything, by being here in the Emirates, by being here in Dubai, it's giving me the opportunity to, to push the boundaries mm -hmm. uh, of uh, Spanish cooking. Listen, I'm making a paella here where we are bringing this baby lamb from Spain. And that's a dish you will not find in Spain. But because we had a baby lamb that we do roasted uh, uh, or grill, but we never have seen it that we've abandoned it in a paella, gave me the opportunity one day, just by chance, uh, to say, hey, let's do the paella with the lamb. Look at being in Dubai right now is allowing me to keep pushing the boundaries of actually what the Spanish cooking can be. Oh, I love that. I love this idea of you continuing to fall in love and explore a cuisine that you're such a master of. It sounds like you're having a lot of fun over there as well, which is really important. What have been some of the big standout dishes? What are Dubai diners loving? You know what are the dishes? Obviously, the paella, the traditional paella, the paella valenciana. Uh, when people come into Jaleo, the first thing they're going to be seen coming into this astonishing place is this big fire that you always are going to see a very big pan, a very big paella pan cooking. You're going to see sometimes six, seven of them at the same time. And the number one paella is the traditional paella valenciana, as they do in the city of Valencia which is chicken and rabbit and beans. And this one is becoming 
very, very, uh, very popular. But then I'm very amazing that uh, dishes that I always love, like croquetas. Mm. Croquetas is a dish I grew up. Uh, croquetas is this little bechamel creamy fritter uh, that my mom used to make with uh, chicken. And who was going to tell me that 40, 50 years later, I will be putting that dish on the menu <laughs> and become one of the most fascinating, uh, humble, but at the same time sophisticated uh, uh, bites. Well, classics uh, are classics know, for a reason. You know, it's give, they, give they the people what they want. <laughs> but look at, take a look at classics, right? Uh, I love olives. Um, Spain uh, is a country uh, of olives. Uh, the Arab world had a lot to do over centuries in shaping what Spain has become culinarily uh, today. That means that seems Spain and and, and Dubai, or Spain and the Arab world are far away worlds, but actually they are they are very similar in so many ways. Uh, the olives they have, for example, here that are so simple. It's a very traditional, meaty, big olive called gordal that we stab with an anchovy and, and, a, and a red pepper that has been roasted. But we serve them alongside the liquid olives. The liquid olives that is the forward-thinking cooking that has been developed in Spain. So I give you the traditional one, which you're going to be eating centuries all uh, in a way, uh, the spirit of Spain. Mm-hmm. But then I'm pushing the boundaries and I'm giving you alongside the liquid one that you're going to put it on your mouth and looks like looks like an olive. But when you put it, it explodes juice on top of your tongue, creating this amazing experience. You see traditional modernity right here at Haleo, right here in Dubai. They are living side by side. Oh, sounds incredible. More from Chef Jose next, um, including his incredible humanitarian work. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. In conversation now with the incredible Chef Jose Andres. And beyond your culinary ventures, you've been doing some absolutely incredible work with the World Central Kitchen, providing food relief in times of crisis. So where and when and why did that all start, Chef? Well, I mean, listen, I'm a chef that feeds the few. I have almost 40 restaurants in my portfolio at Twister Michelin, restaurants in L.A., New York, in Miami, in Las Vegas, in Bahamas. Um, and that's what I do. I have TV shows. I have cookbooks. Uh, it's true. I, I teach in a couple of universities, uh, like Harvard or George Washington. Um, but uh, whatever my time um, uh, gave me the opportunity, to when things began happening in the wrong way, in emergencies. I began showing up um, to try, used to learn how cooks like me, we could be very important in emergencies to make sure that we will bring food and water to anybody that we need it after a hurricane, after an earthquake, and lately more and more even in war situations. Mm-hmm. So World Central Kitchen began in 2010 in Haiti, earthquake category one of the biggest earthquakes in the history, um, 7.3, 7.4, hundreds of thousands of people perished under the rubble. Uh, I went there, and there is where I saw the big opportunity to activate cooks like me, alongside the other many NGOs uh, and organizations that come to provide relief, uh, to make sure that people, as I said before, will be fed. I mean, when it's a fire, who do you send? The firefighters. 
when they are wounded, who do you send? Uh, doctors and nurses. When there is people under the rubble after a network, you send uh, search and rescue teams and dogs. Well, if people are hungry, who do you think is the best people to handle all the issues <laughs> that has to do with finding the food, cooking the food, and delivering the food? Send in the chefs. <laughs> that, that's the cooks of the world. And that's how World Central Kitchen very much began. Mm-hmm. Now, you've, um, would you mind sharing some recent projects or initiatives that you're particularly proud of? Well, you know, we, we've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of meals. Still, we're a very young organization. Um, the organization has around 100 people, but we've shown that we have this amazing power to grow exponentially. Um, we've been in the earthquake in Morocco, uh, up in the mountains where nobody was able even to access with helicopters, doing also medical evacuations. Before that, weeks uh, in all around Turkey, where we did open over 10 kitchens of all central kitchen in 10 cities. That's how massive wow. the entire earthquake happened in Turkey. And we went to Syria. Between Turkey and Syria, I think we reached uh, well above five, six million meals. Um, um, in Ukraine, we've done over 250 million meals. Um, we've been in fires in Maui. We've been in volcanoes exploding. We have people right now in Iceland because a volcano is about to explode. So, you know, the little organization is not so little anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do is that we believe food is something that can bring all of us together. We, bring, we believe in building longer tables. Um, that's, that's what we that's what we doing. Right now we are inside Gaza. Uh, we've done more than 6 million meals in Gaza. We have 193 trucks that they are en route uh, outside Rafa or on the way to to be inside uh, inside Gaza. We have partners. We, we have a big plan for many kitchens. Uh, let's hope uh, uh, that situation ends and everybody can use go with their lives. What we do is put what we do is water, we bring dignity through, and we believe that food and water is a human right. And every one of my friends, that's a matter of their religion, that's a matter where they come from or what country they live, guess what? They all agree with this very simple thing, that food and water is a human right. And actually, through longer tables, and making sure that we invite everybody to the table, we can dream of a better, a better world. I love this idea of building longer tables. Thank you so much. We're in conversation this afternoon with Chef Jose Andres from Hello. Um, and my goodness, what an absolute treat to still him away from his very busy Dubai kitchen. More next. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm Helen Farmer, meeting the chef now. And what a chef we have for you. Humanitarian, Spanish legend, Chef Jose Andres. And I'm loving the work you're doing chef and you're even extending that humanitarian work to a cookbook tell us about it well there's a lot of cookbooks coming i have one in front of me as we speak and it's not even published yet <laughs> um, hopefully it's a restaurant one day we'll see near here in dubai too i did three books in the last year alone wow come on well, chef <laughs> they've been they've been well just just published but they've been new york times bestseller one of them um, was a book uh, to raise money for World Central Kitchen. 
but was was a re- was not a recipe book. Even has a lot of recipes, but was a storytelling book. Uh, I didn't really wanted to sign my name on the book because I don't believe it's my book. It's a book of the people. Uh, it's hundred percent helping uh, World Central Kitchen to deliver its message, to raise funds, but more important, to tell the stories of the people behind every dish that in the most difficult situations made impossible happen. I just came back from Acapulco. Nobody knows, but one of the biggest hurricanes in the last 20 years hit the beautiful city of Acapulco. The entire city was destroyed. Uh, we landed there the, the first days. We will be making tacos and tamales. Some people say, wow, you guys cook local. I'm like, well, we don't cook local because we are fancy. We cook local because it's the only thing available. Yeah, this is what we're and working with. <laughs> without plates and forks, a tamal, which is this amazing corn kind of dough that you steam and you cover with a corn husk or with a banana leaf. Mm-hmm. Depends the part of Mexico you are. It's a great way to deliver food, even if you have no forks and no plates. So... These traditional dishes also become unbelievably useful mm-hmm. in, a, in emergencies. In the book, you're going to find stories like that one. Like the day I was cooking in Haiti and this woman, these 20 women that were helping me came to me. And with the help of a translator, because they spoke uh, not only French, but Creole, which is uh, it's a language that is a mix of French and, and African dialects. And, and, and my French is okay, but not good enough to understand Creole. With the help of a translator, they came to me and they gave me thanks for being there next to them, helping feed their entire camp, a camp of over a thousand people. Wow. And they say, but you know, those beans are great, chefs. I was so happy with the beans. They were in season. We were buying in local markets because why? World Central Kitchen, we always buy in local markets. Why? Because in the process of the emergency, we are able to help the local economies. Mm-hmm. That's why we are so different than others. But this woman came to me. And it's the day I realized that people don't want our pity. People want our respect. Mm-hmm. How do you give them respect? By listening to them. What they told me. <laughs> they told me that, well, those beans look great. That's not the way they ate them. That's not the way they enjoyed them. And I'm like, really? Me, a two-star Michelin chef that is in the cover of Time Magazine, <laughs> and women are telling me they don't like these beans. But it looked like home when my three daughters will complain to their chef daddy that this dish was not perfect. Uh, this brought me joy in a way because it's great that people feel good enough, mm-hmm. safe enough with you that they can speak to you openly, even when they are hungry and you're feeding them. Mm-hmm. That was a big moment for me because, yes, I realized that, that we need to be helping the people, but we cannot help them effectively enough if we don't listen to the people we are trying to help. And these stories are in the book, too. And that's it. That's the World Central Kitchen cookbook. And then I have one that is amazing, which I cannot believe even they put my name on it. What is it? It's a guy called Steve Orlando. He's one of the best comic writers in the history. If you go mm-hmm. to Comic-Con with him, he's like the Messi um, or the Ronaldo of the of the of the comic book, okay. and he wanted to tell the story of Wolf and Dragon. So we did this unbelievable comic book, which is going to be, hopefully, you will be able to find it even in Dubai. We did a thousand special edition uh, by my friend Mignola, who was the creator of Hellboy. As far as I know, the thousand, they're already gone, even before they've reached the shelves. 
So it's going to be a book that uh, I think is going to be great for the little ones, the the the, the grown ups. It's going to be a book that is going to show a lot of people in a very fascinating way, the way only a comic book can do. What are the possibilities when actually anybody can join the effort uh, to to in any circumstance? In this case, used to bring food and water to the people and always using creativity to achieve it. Well, that leads me to my last question, which is, I think our definition of success changes as we get older. You know, we start out thinking about job titles and salary and that. And then, you know, in, in the case of the kitchen, you know, moving up that hierarchy of the kitchen. And now I think success for you is about exactly what we've been talking about, about humanity and connection and education and celebration and, and sharing. So I, I wondered what's next and what you're hoping to achieve in, in years to come, Chef Jose. Well, listen, uh, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and and, but obviously, I, I, I am the leader of this company that is surrounded by I'm surrounded by thousands of talented people, and I need to make sure the company is doing well. But alongside, I see just the power of thinking out of the box and the lessons learned in my career working in kitchens since I was 14, 15. is giving me this amazing way to see to see the world. Uh, I'm very happy and very proud that Dubai is hosting its COP28, which is good. The best people of the world are going to be coming here, not only talking about climate change, but at the end, what I care is about food. Mm-hmm. And climate change and food has everything to do one with the other. Mm-hmm. So for me, obviously, being part of these bigger conversations about how in the process of enjoying ourselves, because we should keep enjoying ourselves, we can keep making smart decisions that allow us to be uh, a planet that uh, uh, that in the way we do things, just we think about how we do them, so we don't create problems, but in the process we try to keep solving them. So this is an area I'm going to be spending time. And in the next 80 years of my life, I'm 54 now, anything I can be helping through my restaurants that give me the platform to meet people and have a voice and bring it alongside to see how we can be next to the people that need us the most in the most difficult scenarios, this is going to be, without a doubt, uh, the area that I'm going to spend the most time. In Washington, D.C., I announced a few weeks ago the Global Food Institute uh, in partnership with George Washington University. This is a project that I've been working on the last 10 years. And this is something as simple as, do really we have a food policy in America, in Europe, in the Middle East, in the world, that allow us really to stop throwing money at the problem, but to start investing in solutions. Mm-hmm. So in the process, we end hunger. In the process, we end poverty. In the process, we fight against climate change. In the process, we ask, we, we fight against deforestation and erosion. In the process, we make sure our oceans are cleaner and productive. Can we make sure that food, once and for all, becomes the solution of the many issues humanity faces? You ask me what I'm planning to be doing the next 30 years of my life? That's a glimpse. Well, it's in safe hands with you, Chef. Thank you so much for your time. Just an absolute pleasure to hear your passion and keep cooking. And we're delighted to have you in Dubai, both in in person now and, of course, with the restaurant as well. Stay safe and uh, keep up the good fight because we need more people like you. Thank you, Chef. All right.
Let's do it live next time. Let's come to the we studio meet. next time. Bring me paella. <laughs> You're a star. Next time I get a helicopter. And go to the <laughs> You're a star. Thank you, chef. Bye. Love you. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.